Hello, beautiful listeners. Welcome to the Colorism Healing Podcast, where our goal is to learn, transform, and resist. I am your host, Dr. Sarah Webb. This podcast is the audio experience of my weekly live streams on Instagram, which I do every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you like what you hear today, be sure to subscribe and share. You can also get lots more content at colorismhealing.com. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the weekly live stream with yours truly, Dr. Sarah L. Webb of Colorism Healing. Today's topic is a part two of how to unlearn colorism, aka skin tone bias, aka skin color bias. So if you have not seen last week's conversation, I talked about the overarching strategy, some foundational concepts and approaches to how we can unlearn our biases when it comes to skin tone. And this week I want to look at specific activities. I'm hoping this live stream is a little has a little bit more novelty to it. So I'll share some practical ideas, um, things that you can do either alone or with your family, with friends. And as always, I'll be taking questions and comments in the chat. So I'm really curious to see if those of you who are watching live have your own ideas about how to unlearn skin tone bias. What has worked for you? What has helped to decondition you from the larger narratives that are perpetuated in society, if anything? Um, ooh, so as we get started, be sure to say hello and let me know where you're watching from, especially if this is your first time, but also especially if you're a golden oldie and if you've been around for a minute. <laughs> the Color in Me, thank you for buying a badge. Thank you for tuning in. I love it. Like we just getting started and you're already showing love. Uh, so a few announcements. A big announcement is that the International Colorism Healing Writing Contest is back. Yes. Launched on April 1st and it closes on April 30th. So this year we're only giving you one month to submit. Um, and hopefully if you didn't get to submit last year, you got some drafts already in the works that you can slide in there this year. For those of you who don't know, it's open to everyone. It is international. The theme is definitely colorism, but we're looking for different perspectives on colorism. People have different stories and experiences with colorism, and we'd like to hear from you. And I'm working with a good group of folks this year who helped me bring the contest to fruition. Uh, and so I think I'm really excited about that aspect of it too, is to have, um, another team around me that is taking the lead and helping to make things happen. And then of course, I do sell books. Yeah, so I'm gonna shamelessly plug that some resources you can use to help you unlearn skin tone bias <laughs> would be the children's coloring, not color, well yeah, the children's coloring book, but also the children's workbook that I have. I also have things for adults as well. I have a colorism healing journal with writing prompts I have an affirmation workbook. I have the proof copy right here on my desk. I'm not gonna share it with you though, cause I'm doing my final edits before I release it, but it's a self-affirmation workbook. And my folks know I love me some affirmations. So I decided to make a workbook to coach other folks in how to you have start their own affirmation practice. Um, so I think those are all my announcements. Let's see who's tuning in. Um, oh, thanks. Pretty in Pink from Black Metal 626.2. 
Yeah. So as I mentioned, let me go ahead and pin the comment. Not the comment, the topic today. Hey, Bree from Brooklyn. Skin tone, unlearning skin tone bias, part two. And let me pin it for anyone who comes in late. They'll be able to see what we're talking about. <laughs> So the first two categories, do I have, I have three categories, sorry, three categories. So the first category that I wanna kinda of talk about as an action, more concrete actions that we can take is to respond to colorist content and colorist incidents. So I think this is important, this aspect, is when you see something, say something, you know, I've been riding the New York subway, that's definitely a moniker that they have up there. But one reason why I think this is important is that noticing colorist content or colorist incidents when you see them can be a barrier to internalizing the colorist message, right? And so things are more likely to infiltrate our subconscious minds if we don't notice them, if we're not aware of them. And so the simple act of saying, whoa, that's a colorist content protects your subconscious mind from then internalizing it and allowing it to seep in. And so I think that's sort of a reactive or responsive activity, but it's definitely an important one. So whether it be comments that your friends are making, things you see on TV, things you see at work, right? Is looking at the narrative or the message of the situation and recognizing it as an instance of colorism prevents you from internalizing whatever message that might be. Um, and so you can think of your subconscious as like your, your house, your home that you want to protect. And your conscious awareness is like the alarm system that helps you to protect it. Um, but then the second part of that is not just noticing colorist content or colorist incidents, but actually critiquing them, understanding why they are colorist. And so this is really, really good to do just by yourself, just in your own mind, but you can sort of multiply the impact of that if you have conversations with other people who also witnessed that incident or also saw the movie or also saw the TV show, right? So having a conversation with other people about why that was an example of colorism not only does that work for you, but then you're multiplying that and helping someone else not to internalize that message. Um, I also think with the critique, critiquing colorist content or colorist incident, you can reshape the narrative. So it's almost like redirecting energy. So there's like Neo in the Matrix, right? Someone shooting, trying to shoot bullets at you. Doing, becoming aware of it and then providing a critique or analysis is kind of like being able to not just dodge the bullet, but to almost reshape what it is, like turning bullets into flowers almost. And so it protects you from internalizing the narrative, but then you also have the opportunity to create a different narrative, okay? So that's one activity that you can do, but it's more of a reactive activity. So as you're living your life, someone makes a comment on TV, a family member tells one of those so-called jokes, 
and you respond and say, oh, actually that's colorist or that's a form of colorism. This is why. Um, and then the second thing, hey folks, welcome. Come on in, come on in the room. Oh, I didn't finish reading Brown Skin Breeze comment. It says, Bree from Brooklyn, hey, so it really helped to change my environment. I moved from Texas where anti-blackness and colorism is the norm. Moving to NY, where dark people embrace their color was huge. Brown skin Brie, I love this idea. I love this practice. It's a very practical, tangible, concrete action that people can take to help them unlearn their internalized biases about skin tone. And I can attest to that. I was living in central Illinois, um, three hours south of Chicago in the middle of the cornfields and soybean fields and living in Harlem since January has really been healing to my soul right it's I could go on I won't for the sake of time but I, I posted on my personal Instagram a picture of a mural and I was saying how in Springfield Illinois you always see Abraham Lincoln on, on the buildings. Like there are paintings and statues of Abraham Lincoln everywhere. But walking through Harlem, there are murals and statues of black people and brown people and dark skinned black and brown people at that, right? And so that alone, much less just seeing black and brown people from different parts of the world, you know, black people in the diaspora at that, living and being free and also acknowledging each other. The kind of recognition that I received just walking on the streets of Harlem, some of it is can be kind of misogynist just to, <laughs> for transparency's sake. But for the most part, a lot of it is just like recognition and acknowledgement of, you know, um, human existence. Um, so yeah, folks who are thinking about something they can do, changing your environment. I was also, I had a dream, and then I also saw a YouTube video that kind of resonated with the dream that I had. And so in, in the dream, there was this woman, and she was talking about how the soil was poisonous. She was saying, like, the soil is poisonous, and nothing's going to grow here, and, you know, the plants aren't are going to all die because the soil is poisonous. And so that, you know, brown skin breeze uh, comment also makes me think about that, um, in the YouTube video I mentioned is that when a plant or a flower is not blooming, we look at the conditions around the plant. And so sometimes we're like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get over this situation? Why do I keep having these thoughts? Why am I not progressing in life the way I want to? And sometimes it's not you. Sometimes you're doing all the right things, but you're doing them in the wrong place and you're doing them around in the wrong conditions. And so those conditions, that environment, that context is not conducive to you then um, blooming and blossoming in the ways that you're meant to. So yeah, that's like a lot of additional um, commentary in regards to Brown Skin Bree's, you know, example of how one thing she did or she, not sure what your pronouns are, she, they did, um, to help them unlearn their biases. Um, Black Nettle 6 underscore 26.2 says, the challenge is dealing with people who will wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts and yet have anti-Black feelings in their heart because they continuously pursue seeking the approval of the majority group. That is very true. 
Um, there are, it's a spectrum. I think there are layers and it's a spectrum of people who, people's understanding of what liberation is or what revolution is. And um, I think people are in different places in terms of their ideology about what it means to be free and about what it means to, for all people to be free and to live in a society that is inherently equitable and free for all people. And for some people, that means assimilation. To some people, their, their understanding where they are in terms of their consciousness, freedom is the freedom to live the way white people do. The freedom to go into spaces that white people go into and the freedom to make money in all the same ways that white people make money. And so basically just be free to live in the society as it currently is. And a lot of people have that idea of freedom and not necessarily a different understanding of, well, maybe the status quo is not something we should be aspiring to participate in in the first place. Um, so yeah, I think there, and also the Black Lives Matter movement is interesting because I see a lot of people of different races a lot of white people in particular, but they'll have, and I am thinking about some of my former colleagues, just to sake of transparency. They'll have like Black Lives Matter t-shirts or Black Lives Matter signs or stickers. And they, a lot of folks really focus on police killings when they think of Black Lives Matter. When they think of the Black Lives Matter movement, to a lot of people, it's limited to the extreme violence that results in death by the state, right? That kind of extreme state-sanctioned violence that results in the death of unarmed, innocent Black people. And most people who support that change and support seeing structural change do not understand how it's all of the less violence, quote-unquote, it's all of the less sensational, the less, quote-unquote, less harmful things that enable those kinds of drastic outcomes. And so they don't see the ways that, you know, TV programming and news narratives and voting policies and all of the things that are not outright physical violence contribute to, lead to, facilitate, enable the, the outright physical violence. And so I think a lot of people who support Black Lives Matter are thinking of it just in terms of police officers killing black people and not looking at the whole society, including themselves as individuals and the ways they purport perpetuate other forms of violence that might not be physical, but that might be psychological or emotional or um, symbolic forms of violence as well. So yeah, definitely there's still a lot of education, a lot of learning, a lot of consciousness raising to do. Um, and I think that's why we need all hands on deck, precisely because there is so much to do. <laughs> Ooh, y'all, it's warm in this apartment. <laughs> I got all these lights on my face. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Lucid Los is um, second, seconding, second it. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, Elizabeth Upshur. So you're getting a lot of um, support for that comment. Lucid Lowe says black men being killed by police appears to be the main focus of BLM. Yes. Yeah. And so even there's even the gender component too, right? 
So a lot of people who say Black Lives Matter, they have a very narrow understanding of what that means. Because um, I'm like, it, Black Lives Matter is basically, for, for, for many people, I would say especially for non-Black people, Black Lives Matter is let Black people stay alive. Like, don't kill them. <laughs> Right? But I think for folks like me, for folks of those of you who are watching this live and for many other black people, including the black people who started the movement, I think we don't want to just not be killed. Right. We want to actually live. When we say black lives matter. That also means black life matters and all of its um, multifacetedness. It's not just a matter of like, oh, well, you're not killing us, so you're doing a good job. It's like, nah, it has to be much deeper than just not killing us. Like that bar is not, is on the ground. Like that bar is six, six feet under the ground. It's not even a bar at all, right? Like if you think you're doing something, if you think you're being progressive because you're championing the cause to not kill black people, uh, it's not progressive <laughs> and revolutionary at all. So yeah, it's about us being able to live fully in our humanity as black people. Great points. Okay, let me let me get back to <laughs> this topic and then I'll I'll check back in on the comments in just a second. Um the second category of activities are more proactive. So there are the first section was about reacting to colorist incidents, reacting to instances of colorism when you see them happening and how that can help you from, keep you from internalizing that messaging. And now I wanna talk about the more proactive things, things that you can set out to do and make a plan to do going forward on a regular basis. And the first of, the, of those two categories is curating and consuming media and entertainment. So I'm starting with that because I think it's the most accessible one for most people. And the most like, um, I think it's the first thing that comes to mind. And it's like literally at the tap of a finger. It's literally at your fingertips. If you're holding a phone, if you're sitting at your computer, Um, I highly recommend Abbott Elementary. I just, I just got to put that out there. Um, but, but the basic gist, you've heard this before, you've heard this many times, is to watch less movies and TV shows that are colorist and or don't represent dark-skinned Black people and consume more TV and media that does. And so I recommend Abbott Elementary personally because I enjoy the kind of humor that's in the show, but the diversity of dark-skinned Black women is unprecedented. I have to say, I'm an insecure Issa Rae stan, okay? And I'd have to say that Abbott Elementary outdoes Issa Rae and Insecure in terms of its diversity of dark-skinned Black women. That's saying a lot, okay? Because Insecure, you had Issa Rae herself, you had Molly herself, two prominent dark-skinned Black women, you know, dynamic, versatile, great characters, um, but they were similar in a lot of ways, similar in ages, similar in body types, similar in like education status and all these kinds of things. With Abbott Elementary, you have dark-skinned women of different shapes, sizes, ages, different personalities. You know, you got the conservative Christian one, you got the, um, the sort of, uh, what do you call it, summer, summer, 
There's a there's a phrase that was going around on TikTok. Oh, hot girl, hot girl summer school principal, and then you have the sort of nerdy, geeky main character, and also the dark skinned black woman created the show, which I love. And it's not just on HBO; it's on like mainstream television. So I think it makes that makes it more accessible to a broader audience as well. So Insecure was phenomenal, but it was limited to like the HBO audience and therefore limited to an adult audience as well. So let's be honest. Whereas with Abbott Elementary, it's more family friendly. So you can watch it with your teenage daughters. You can watch it, watch it with your 10 year old daughter or son, um, with your grandma. You know what I mean? Like the whole family could watch Abbott Elementary and enjoy diverse, dark skinned black women. What a concept, right? We're lucky if we get one character, but to have multiples on multiples, right? Um, all the little students, almost all the, the students in the show are dark-skinned kids, and many of them have natural hair. Y'all, it's just like, wow. Um, okay, then the other one, one of my favorites, obviously, because we're here, is social media. <laughs> y'all know I love social media. Yes, this is a plug. If you're not following me on Instagram, follow me on Instagram, or LinkedIn, or YouTube, or TikTok, all those other cool places as well. Um, but one thing I like about social media, so social media gets a bad rep. And I know that technology is just as racist as the people who make it, right? And they have biases that they can literally program into algorithms and program into systems. But what I do know, so this is, might be a little controversial, but what I do know is that we train the algorithm. A lot of people talk about the algorithm as if it's, um, is this monster that's out to get us and out to make us mad and unhappy. <laughs> when actually it's quite the opposite. If you talk to people who write algorithms, there is like a, um, a black woman on TikTok who's an engineer who writes algorithms. The purpose of an algorithm is to make the user happy at the end of the day, okay? So for anyone who maybe is unsure about this, these social media platforms want to make money the way they make money is to keep people using them, to make people use them as often as possible. And so they're, they're incentivized to give you more of what's going to keep you on the platform. They hurt themselves if they give you content that you don't want. If they give you content that you don't like, it hurts them. So they're incentivized to give you more of the videos that you like, to give you more of the pictures that you like. And so here's what you do, because when I first joined TikTok, everybody was complaining. It was like, I don't see enough black people on my For You page. And all I see is these white girls on my For You page. And I was like, my For You page is blackity black, black, black. <laughs> I only see black people. And the few white people that pop up on my profile are talking about racism. They're talking about white privilege. Are there the quote unquote woke kind of white folks. And so what you do is, here's a little insider tip. If you're going to use social media, train the algorithm, teach the algorithm what you like. Here's how you do that. One, unfollow and stop interacting with the kind of content you say you don't like. It always trips me out when people say, oh, I don't wanna see you know all these light-skinned people in my profiles and I'm like, well, again, the algorithm is responding to what you engage with. So if you stopped engaging with that kind of content, you would see less of it. And here's the other half of that equation, just as important. 
Start engaging with the content you do want to see. Unfollow, disengage with content you don't want. Follow and engage with content you do want. Follow the hashtags you like. Follow hashtags like Melanin Poppin. Follow hashtags like, you know, dark skinned beautiful people or black girl bliss or black boy joy. Follow those hashtags. Follow those accounts that post the pictures and the videos you want to see. And actually leave comments. Actually like, actually share, actually save. And then post that kind of content yourself. So if you're also posting about that, you're also teaching the algorithm what you're interested in, like what your content bubble is. And that's how I built my echo chambers. <laughs> they say social media is an echo chamber. That's how I built my echo chambers. My echo chambers are solid. I do not get racist content in my feed. I do not get, and I do not have a bunch of mixed race girls doing makeup on my feeds and any of my social media profiles. It's all content that's like me. <laughs> and that is very intentional. Um, so you too can build your own echo chamber. <laughs> all jokes aside, folks, you can call it an echo chamber. You can call it a safe space. You can call it um, just your personal collection of content. Um, so yeah, social media is clutch. I think we have more control over it than people might realize. And then the other forms of media, music, keeping it real. I haven't watched TV, like TV music videos. Like back in the day, I used to watch The Box. I used to watch uh, Video Soul. I used to watch 106 in Park. All, you know, like I used to actually watch BET. I used to like watch just whatever videos would come up. That was traumatizing as a child growing up. So now, again, technology has given us agency, has given us choice. Now I get to choose the playlist, exactly what videos I want to watch, right? I get to choose exactly what songs I want to play at the drop of a dime. And so YouTube is very clutch for that. Also, lyric videos are a saving grace because if you like a song, but you don't want to subject yourself to the colorist imagery, then you can still play the song without seeing the images. So lots of things we can do that we can take control of. And music is, I play music. I'm one of those people that plays music all day, every day. Um, other things you might look at, print media, magazines, Crown Mag is one of my favorites. Um, just their, their photography is art, pure artistry. Just a beautiful work of art, the way they make black women look. And yes, they photograph black women of all shades, like they're not, specifically centered on dark-skinned women per se, but they always do right by dark-skinned women in that magazine, I have to say. Crown Mag is spelled C-R-W-N. So no O, just C-R-W-N-M-A-G, Crown Mag. All right, let's see some of these comments that I promised I would come back to. <laughs> Uh, Dropped Jim says, yeah, I'm always curious about the usurpation of BLM because that's not what the founders intended. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Yes, yeah, so important to acknowledge outrage is a social currency. Stop feeding the trolls. <laughs> uh, 
black and POC are difficult to differentiate online sometimes because black people barely differentiate the two. So I find it hard to see exclusively black anything, even on black pages. Yeah. I think I, I see mostly black stuff. I definitely don't see exclusively black things. But if you don't have one page that is exactly what you want, then I think there are ways of, maybe not on social media, but there's gotta be a way for you to create a virtual experience or a physical experience that is exactly what you want. And so I think social media, like I was saying, we have more control over that than we actually think. But you're right, we don't have complete control over it. And so there's, there's always that limitation. So I think that's where other things like the books that you keep in your home, the artwork that you keep in your home, the background on your computer, the clothes you wear, the, the way that you... Um, curate your friendship circle, right? Like, I think there are other ways to exercise control and agency of your environment. And the virtual environment definitely has um, its limitations. I'm even thinking about like starting your own like Pinterest board or like Tumblr board, and that way you can come back to it. So with like, if you create your own Pinterest board, you select the images that are on it. And it's something that you can refer back to as you're trying to untrain or retrain your subconscious programming. And so that does lead me to my last category of like other proactive activities. I thought this was gonna be a short one. It's short relative to my other ones. So I'm just gonna throw out a list of possible things that I have actually done. I've done a lot of these things, but making a collage activities that you can do as an adult, but they're also really fun to do as kids. I, I made a lot of collages for natural hair when I was in high school. I used to do a lot of collaging of black people from magazines, uh, especially when black magazines finally started including natural hair. I remember um, Hype Hair or something like that, one of those popular hair magazines, they started adding like a natural hair insert. So like the magazine, they kept their normal stuff and then they would add like a special section. And like even the paper quality was different. So it was like really an insert for like natural hair. And like that was meaningful to me. But I used to make collages, cut out the pictures, paste them, glue them on a poster board, cut it out and hang it, tack it on my wall. And sometimes if it was, if the image was like the whole page, if there was like a beautiful, dark-skinned woman in the magazine, I just tear out the whole page and tack it on my wall, right? So things like that, collecting photographs, whether you make a collage with them or not, and actively displaying them around you, because again, that visual input is awfully powerful. And the visual input, and it's not just the presence of a dark-skinned person on your wall, but it's also the narrative of that image, right? So is it a dark-skinned person like in chains and handcuffs or is it like a dark-skinned person with flowers and butterflies around them, right? Not that, you know, one is necessarily better than the other, depends on your intention and the meaning for you, but think about the meaning behind the picture. 
Then the other one is painting or drawing. And I think this is cathartic. I had one of my group coaching clients who started painting as a way to heal some of the colorism that she had experienced because she wanted to start drawing women of certain body types and facial features that she didn't see celebrated often enough in the media she was consuming. So as a way, yes, for her to practice drawing, but also for her to celebrate, you know, people with bigger noses or fuller lips or kinkier hair textures or larger bodies, she started drawing them. And I think the act of drawing, I used to draw a lot. I don't know if we have any drawers on here, um, but the act of drawing is in and, in and of itself, like a subconscious message that this is important, right? This is beautiful. It's an act of love. I think that in and of itself is a message of value, that you're taking the time to draw something and to get the feature just right. Um, writing affirmations. I won't spend long on this one because I think I kind of hit on that often. In every live stream, I talk about affirmations. Coloring books for kids. I do have one for sale. Ha ha ha. Um, taking photographs. I've talked about doing photo studies. And I quote Susan Sontag a lot that photographs teach us what is worth looking at. And so taking photographs of ourselves, our family, friends who are dark skinned, that sort of thing. And then this one is about who we actually spend time with, who we actually interact with. And so spending time around diverse dark skinned people. So not just looking at them in media, but in real life, like in real life, in your home, outside of your home. Obviously it's easier if you live in a diverse place to interact with and engage with diverse dark skinned people. But even if you don't live in a diverse place, you should make the effort to find experiences where you have the opportunity to build relationships with dark, diverse dark skinned people. And just like we don't want the white person who says they have their, that one black friend, we don't need anybody saying they have their one dark skinned black friend either. Um, and then I, in my blog post, I differentiated between spending time around diverse dark skinned people and then spending quality time with specific dark skinned people as a second, um, like as a follow up to that, right? So actually building close connections and close relationships with dark skinned family members, with dark skinned friends. Um, Cause I think at the end of the day, part of unlearning skin tone bias is increasing your capacity to believe in the humanity and the multifacetedness of dark-skinned black people and not um, tokenizing us, right? And that requires having relationships with multiple types of us. And the last thing I'll say is, well, I already said that, but the last thing on my list was to do a photo study of yourself and others. So let me see if there are any other suggestions, other activities, other actions, like concrete activities that people have done um, in your own lives that the audience might be able to benefit from in some way. 
please share in the comments or if you have a question, if you want to follow up with anything I said or whatever, just let me know in the comments before we leave for the day. Um, Lucid Lowe says, I'm sorry, it's not just white people. I don't want to see POC hijacking black spaces either. Yeah, yeah, I knew that's what you meant. <laughs> um, Essence Golden says, nice. Um, I love that you said diverse dark-skinned people because dark skin it's seen as a monolith at times in the black community. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the badge, Lucid Los. Always appreciate your presence, your participation, and your support. Um, yeah, I think diverse dark-skinned people is clutch. It's like absolutely necessary. Uh, we, we talked a lot about how when they do choose dark-skinned people, it's often people who happen to have dark skin, but they approximate whiteness or the white standard of beauty in all the other ways, right? Whether it's their features or their hair texture or their body types or even their affluence, their personal style, their politics, right? And uh, yeah, I also mentioned one time too, I was thinking about this, I've been thinking about this a lot, about how I love that, you know, my platform grows and that people see me around the world as, you know, a colorism expert, but I don't, I don't think I can be the penultimate face of like for dark skinned people. One, because there are people who are even darker than I am who need representation as well. And two, because I think there are people who are gender diverse and have different body types and physical abilities um, that still are not as represented even amongst the growing representation for darker skinned people. So constantly diversifying diversity, like diversity on diversity on diversity. <laughs> and that's the intersectional piece there. All right, so I don't really have an affirmation today, but I do have, you know, a task for you all to actually start doing one or more of these things. Or if you have already done some of these things, if you already do these activities, let's celebrate you and let's continue to do them. Um, but tell me about it. Let us know what you've tried, what you continue to try, what you might try next. Um, if you are bringing other people along with you as you start to do these things. Like if you're gonna do a collage with your kiddos this weekend, or if you're gonna critique a colorist music video with your friends or your coworkers um, next time you talk to them. Let's, let's talk to each other about what we're doing so that we can be supportive. All right, y'all, I'm gonna go change into something that's not quite as warm as this sweater. I love this sweater because it's so warm. It's kept me really warm out here in these New York streets this year. But inside this apartment, it's a little, it's a bit much. So I'm gonna go change into more cool clothing. And in the meantime, I hope y'all enjoy the rest of your week. I am so humbled and honored that you dropped in to hang with me and to talk about this very important topic. Um, it's always my hope and my prayer that I have been a good steward of your time and attention. And I'll see you all next week. I say this a lot lately. I don't know what I'm talking about next week. <laughs> so maybe I do. I think I, I usually plan it out the first Wednesday of every month. 
So this Wednesday, I'll pin it down for sure. And uh, I'll be letting y'all know. All right, much love. Don't forget the writing contest is open. So yeah, submit. Love y'all. Bye. <laughs>Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and share, and I hope you can join us for the next one.